Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This week we will read... Verses 15 through the end of the chapter and the end of the book, verse 24. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul has turned to incidentals here at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians. It's like they're getting in the car for the family vacation. Everybody use the bathroom. Do you have the sandwiches? Do you have the drinks? Do you have the videos if you have a minivan? And so it's about to end. They're about to set off. And he deals with a couple of housekeeping matters. First of all, he exhorts them about that um, thermometer that you saw. He talks to him about money, and he says, we need to give money to Jerusalem. Make sure you're setting it aside every single week. And then he turns to his travel itinerary, itinerary, explaining that his plans are not firmed up yet. He doesn't know when he'll get there for his visit, but he tells him, I want to see you, and I want to get there and be able to spend some real time with you. And, And this is important because the entire letter has been disciplinary. It's just been intense. And so he makes it very clear he's not apologetic about what he said to them. He loves them. It's intense. And he believes in coming to them and spending time so that if they have any feedback to give to him after having him rebuke them for 16 chapters, that they can feel free to speak to him directly about it. He's not apologetic. He'll come. He'll spend some time. And of course, the weight of everything he said and all his rebukes and admonitions will come to them then. Then he turns in verse 15, and he says, Now, I urge you, brethren, I have made this point over and over again every single time we study the epistles. Back in 1990, decided they were going to redo the Living Bible and produce the New Living Translation. I saw the first galley proofs of what they were doing. And I saw that they were changing the Greek word Adelphoi to Christian friends. 
The word is brothers in the Greek. And so every single time we read the word brothers in Scripture, everybody just wants us to say, oh, no, 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 it doesn't mean brothers. It means brethren and sistren and children. This last week, a a new statement of faith came out from people who teach at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and Wheaton and and, uh, Covenant, the PCA. And the new statement of faith, in the section on the fall, it, and, or on man, it, it, it said, uh, it said, I got to get this right, man, men, women, and you know how I've always said, if we're going to give up the leadership of men, don't you realize we're also going to give the leadership of children up? You know, if you're against authority, why would you stop at, at killing the authority of the man? Why not just kill all authority? And sure enough, they say men, women, and children. Because now our children don't know they're included. <laughs> you know, pretty soon it'll be our dogs. We're burying them in our cemeteries. Listen, God set up his whole universe in such a way that his fatherhood resides in the man. And that dignity that he gives to man, he doesn't give to woman. Okay? And it's all right for you to be angry about it. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. God is not unaware that in 2017, many men and women will be upset about this. And he did it because you would be upset. Because he knows that when we're upset, just like the athlete who's in the exercise room or pumping iron, It hurts, and the muscles build. And so when you don't like this, that's good. Say, I don't like this. That's good. That's honest. That's that's an honest mistake. And then look at the text again. It says, brothers. And learn that God wants men and women together to come under their federal head, Adam, because in Adam we all die. And Adam has the fatherhood of God. And so if you're not willing to be under your federal heads, it's because you refuse to be under God. Because God's fatherhood is the fatherhood from whom all fatherhood gets its name. And so every time this word is used, we should be irritated because it goes completely against the grain of the entire world we live in. We should look at that word and say, can't they just get rid of it? And then look at it again. I was on a discussion list this last week on Facebook And somebody made the terrible mistake of referring to everybody in the discussion as brothers. And of course, immediately a man, it's more often men than women that don't like the inclusive male. Um, A man comes on and he says, now of course, I want to explain to all you stupid women. He didn't say stupid, but that's the way he treated them. Because of course, nobody ever wondered whether the women were included until he came on and started talking about how you guys maybe don't realize that that word brother that he just used was used inclusively. He wasn't trying to offend you. And then somebody wrote in and said something to the effect that, uh, well, you know, that word brothers used in scripture is a quirk of the Greek language. And so God was inspiring the Apostle Paul to write a letter to the Corinthians, and all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul hit the speed bump. 
Because that's how he talked at the time, because he was in an ancient patriarchal culture, you know. And so he, all of a sudden, he just couldn't help himself, but that quirk of the, of the Greek language came out of his pen, his quill. Well, actually not his, but his secretary was writing for him. He was dictating, all right? And I know all of you just think, oh, for heaven's sakes, Tim, would you get off it? And I say, no, I won't get off it because the Bible's inspired. And so, yeah, you could have predicted. I went on the list, and I was very encouraging and and very sweet and very upbeat and said, now, really, this is a precious truth that we have here in this word, and we ought not to refer to it as a quirk. You know, are there any other quirks in Scripture? You know, like, in the beginning was the word. Well, you know, back at that time, you know, they had a concept of time that would have a beginning and end, but we're very inclusive, and we don't think in terms of beginning and ends, but it was a quirk of the Greek concept of the cosmos, and dot, 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 you know? No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Beginning means beginning. God chose it. That word God chose. God also chose brothers. Brothers includes the children, The fathers, the mothers, the grandparents, the women, the men, brothers. Now I urge you, brethren. Yes, there are women in the church. They hear it, and they know they're included. And so should you, because this is not a quirk of language. It's how God chose to write his word. I urge you, brethren. So the Apostle Paul urges all the believers, and particularly the brothers, And as soon as he says, I urge you, brother, then he gives a parenthetical statement. Greek doesn't have parentheses. But we know it's a parenthetical statement. We put it in parentheses in English because it doesn't really follow from what he just said. It's a descriptor. So he's going to urge us something. We know that because he says, now I urge you, brothers, right? And then this descriptor, and we know a, a command is coming. So this descriptor must give logic to the command. It must explain the command that's coming. So what's the descriptor? He says, you know the household of Stephanus. So it has something to do with the household of Stephanus. That they were the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. So whatever he says he's urging and he's about to command, all right, it will make sense if you stop for a second and think about the household of Stephanus. This is the context for his coming command. And note again here that he addresses the household of Stephanus, the man, okay? He is the potter familia. Now, all those in the household of Stephanus were the first fruits of Achaia. Stephanus and all his household were the first people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this region. Now I want you to notice that here we have a statement of Scripture that tells us that God deals with homes. God deals with households. If you think through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you'll see again and again and again and again and again that God brings salvation to the whole household. 
it's not always a man's household because there's Lydia, and yet even with Lydia, it's still her household. Single, single woman, single mother, she had a household. They all came to faith. There is one notable exception in Scripture, and that notable exception is what? It's a eunuch. It's the Ethiopian eunuch. So there's a reason for the exception. He didn't have a household. He was alone. He was a eunuch. But Scripture deals with households again and again and again. It deals with households coming to faith. And here, it deals with the household of Stephanus. They were the first fruits of Achaia. In other words, Stephanus and his household were the first people that came to faith in that region. And it commends them. It's very clear from the context that the Apostle Paul is saying that this is something that should commend them to you, that they were ahead of you in coming to faith. All right? Then a second thing, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. So not only did they come to faith, but then they served the church. Whatever the command is that's coming, it's it has additional force applied to it because they were before us in the faith and because they never stopped serving the people of God, the church. Okay? Serving the church, then, also is they. Not just coming to faith, but serving the church. And so serving the church is not daddy's work. <laughs> It's not mommy and daddy's work. It is your work. The household. You are called to serve the church. One of the tragedies of being a pastor is to see how many parents treat the church in such a way that their children despise it. And it's not because the children would have despised it on their own. It's because the parents teach the children to despise the church. Now, how do they do this? Well, the most typical way is that the parents speak of the church and act towards the church as if it's a duty rather than a privilege. How many pastors' kids are completely bitter against the church because the pastors have acted as if they do anything to get out of the work that they have to do at the church, but nevertheless, there it is. That's how the paycheck comes in. And, and so, of course, the children hate the church. Daddy's gone at night. Daddy keeps them delayed Sunday morning. He's in there talking to somebody with the elders. And how many elders, their kids hate the church because they have to sit outside in the parking lot. Well, here's an idea. How do the people of God get cared for? unless wives and children wait. And husbands, you know, a lot of times that it's my wife that's meeting with people. Tim Wagner was talking to me up front as the service started. You might have seen him. He's one of the senior elders of this church, and he was reminding me that we had a terribly difficult situation with a family in our church. And um, this was back when we were worshiping at uh, the Lighthouse Church's facilities on Winslow Road. And so again and again on Sunday evenings, we had meetings with the mother and the father and their daughter 
or the parents or just the daughter. It was a family that there was a terrible conflict. And he said that when we would get done our meeting, there would be this huge group of our children sitting waiting for us. And he said, I had not remembered this, but he said that the children referred to themselves as the elder and pastor support group. (laughs) And that's such a sweet thing. How sweet it is that God has ordained that it's not just the elders, the pastors, and the older women who serve the church, but it's their children. And their children serve the church by being grateful that their father had work to do, and they they had the privilege of waiting. You don't think of waiting as being a privilege, as work, but it is. It's work. How many times we go out in the parking lot after service is Sunday morning, and we see a car out there with the door open, sometimes it's running, sometimes it isn't, and you have a wife and children out there, and they have patiently been waiting. You walk up to that, to that, to that, um, to that van, typically, <laughs> and no bitterness, just sweetness. And so, yes, Stephanus, he, he, he served the church. His wife served the church. The family served the church. The housekeeping helped serve the church. Everybody served the church. Everybody loved the church. Listen, it's a truth of fatherhood that your children's hearts follow your heart. Okay? If your children despise the church, it's because you as their father despise the church. If they love the church, it's because you love the church. I mean, honestly. I just saw a pastor's wife nodding her head. I remember many, many Sundays, um, and I tell this a lot, but I remember out in front of College Church in Wheaton, you had these big concrete steps, a broad sidewalk, and then the campus lawn, the front campus of Wheaton, right across the street. And as soon as the second service was done, L.P. McClenney would get in his car almost right away and drive home. It was a very nice Oldsmobile that the rich men of the church had bought him. And then my father and my mother stood out front on the steps and counseled and comforted the people of the church, and often for an hour. You know, they were very often the last people to lead. I don't ever remember my father saying anything about being a pastor to me, ever. But guess what? All three of his sons became pastors. Why? Well, because our father loved the church. It wasn't that he loved the building. It was that he loved the church. And so the children lived to do the work of the father. This is the most natural thing in the world. Doesn't Jesus live to do the will of his father? And so here's this beautiful picture of Stephanus and his entire household serving the church. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they've devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. All right, now comes the command. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. So in other words, those who are served owe to the ones who serve them service. They serve you, you serve them. You be in subjection to them, okay? It's only right. It's only right. 
This is the Apostle Paul's command. They were to be in subjection to such men, and not just to Stephanus and his household, but to everyone who helps in the work and labors. It's only fitting. And then he continues, and he says, And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, be in subjection and honor Stephanus in this house. And, and listen, I'm so happy that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus have come and visited me. And you're, on, you're not able to be with me. They're able to be with me. And man, has it been good. They have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. So here is another example of people giving themselves to the work of the church. They've taken a trip and they visited the Apostle Paul. And so he wants them to honor such men, okay? What we think in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. So there was a letter that went from the Corinthians to the Apostle Paul. He's responding to that letter and much of what he writes here. And we think that that letter was carried by these three men, that that was one of the principal reasons that they made this visit to him. The Apostle Paul is in Ephesus at this time, okay? Notice in verse 18, it says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. What does it mean to have your spirit refresh? Well, what, it, what he's saying is, they've given me joy. They've strengthened me. My spirit is refreshed. A very tender statement. What is it that refreshes the spirit of the Apostle Paul? It's relationships. What refreshes the Apostle Paul is intimacy with the people of God. So what is the application of this to us? Well, the application is that if God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. And not just in words, but in deeds, in truth. The application of this to us is that we should look at our hearts and see if intimacy and relationship in the churches give us joy. Do we get joy from our relationships? Is that what refreshes our spirit? If that's not what refreshes your spirit, it's likely that it's because of your pride. And I, I know that many of you would say, oh no, it's because I don't have anything to contribute, right? If I asked for a show of hands, a lot of you would put your hand up now and you'd say, well, I don't have intimacy because what do I have to contribute to the church, right? <laughs> a lot of you feel that way. Well, I don't have anything to give. 
you know, Stephanus and his family, must have, they must have had the gift of gab. <laughs> you know, they talked well. No, 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 no. The Apostle Paul was refreshed when they showed up. And it's such a tender and sweet picture of the emotional life of the Apostle Paul. And this should be your emotional life. You should not think that you have nothing to contribute to the church because it's a lie from the devil. Because despite the disgusting way this statement is perverted by the pagan world, in fact, we are all snowflakes. We all have beautiful gifts to give to one another. Every single one of us. And if you won't take the risk to give the church the gifts that God has put inside of you, it is because of your pride. I know it doesn't seem that way, but it is. It's the proud man that reserves himself and stands back and observes everyone else because he doesn't think he has anything to give. Stephen Baker told me this years ago, and I believe him, because Stephen tells the truth. Right? Right, Stephen? Right? Right, right. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. In other words, not only the Apostle Paul, but also the Church of Corinth, they've been refreshed in their spirit. And therefore, acknowledge such men. Don't overlook them. Don't treat them with disdain. Don't act like you don't know them and you don't see them. Acknowledge them. Well, not just them, but what? Acknowledge all such men. You know that the church is organic. The church is bodies and a house, a church house. The church is bathrooms. The church is seats and chairs and tempers and fights and joy and marriages and deaths and sickness. And the church is organic, right? And because I'm the one that normally preaches to you, in many ways, you can say that I have the best view of the organic life of the church because things go through me, right? Through my office, through my wife, through... I just see a lot. And so when I stand in the door of the church after getting done feeding you, which is what I'm doing this morning, I'm preaching God's word, and that's the bread of life to us. When I get done, I go to that door and I greet you, and I notice those of you who do not acknowledge me, right? As a matter of fact, you avoid me. You know, you try to get out the door without making eye contact. And I know you're doing that because of how humble you are. <laughs> right? Wrong. A lot of times the reason you do that is because sometimes it's because you're angry at me for something I said. 
but a lot of times it's because you think you don't matter. But the Apostle Paul says, acknowledge him and all such men. So that means you're supposed to make eye contact and acknowledge them. It's not real complicated, right? You know, you see somebody you've had a fight with at Walmart, (laughs) you don't acknowledge them. (laughs) You know, you go down one aisle while they go down one and you try to go to the other end of the store. You don't acknowledge them. But if you come to church and the pastor makes a fool of himself in front of you preaching, which is what preaching is, right? I'm not up here maintaining my dignity, right? You realize this and you leave without acknowledging me, what does that say about your appreciation for my work? You know, you don't make eye contact, you go by, you know, you slip through. Now, I know there's some people that stand in the door and talk at me for half an hour, and so I don't expect you to wait in line when somebody at the front is selfish. It's okay, just, just blitz through, for heaven's sakes. I feel less of a burden, <laughs> you know? Or better yet, come and corral them, you know, if, you, if you've ever roped from, on a ranch, you know, get out your lariat, you know, and put it around the neck of the guy talking to me. Get him out of there. No, not really. <laughs> but many of you, when I am having to talk for a long time with somebody, when you go by, you look at me, little hand gesture, eye contact. It's not difficult to be thankful. It's not difficult. Now, am I saying this because I'm hurt by you when you don't acknowledge me? And the answer is what? No, I'm not. Do you acknowledge the elders? When they ask to meet with you, do you say yes? Do you thank them for their labors? You know, there's no work harder than for an elder to rebuke you or to exhort you. It's the hardest work that there is. I've worked on the railroad, and I've bailed hay. (laughs) And being an elder is the most difficult work. You should be thankful. You should acknowledge them. You should acknowledge their wives. You should have special love for the children of your elders. Your ch- the, the, the children of your elders should be treated like little princes and princesses in this church because of the work of their parents. Now, how can anybody be offended at what I'm saying? The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now, just a word about Prisca and Aquila. At other places in Scripture, they're referred to as Priscilla and Aquila. All right? And here, it's Aquila and Prisca, which is a shortened version of of Priscilla. And the feminists say, well, her name appears in front of Aquila's name. And so she was obviously the one that wore the pants in that home. But would you please notice that here her name comes second. The way we decide how we're going to call the husband or wife first when we refer to a household is, is completely a function of idiocy. I've tried to figure out why some of my in-laws I refer to with the man or the woman's name for. Okay, Because there are places in the Bible where 
Priscilla's name comes before Aquila's name doesn't mean we can rebel against the fatherhood of God. Okay, am I done? Okay, all right, okay. I just wanted to get that out there. All right, okay. It says, they greet you heartily in the Lord. What's a a hearty greeting? Well, it's what Nick Schroeder gives you. He's the world's best greeter, right? If you don't know Nick, he's just like, hey, hey, Tim, hey, 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 I'm so happy to see you, Tim. Hearty, 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 hearty. It's South African. All right, hearty greeting in the Lord. With the church that is in their house. So here Priscilla and Aquila not only had to wait in the parking lot, their children, but their children had to clean the counters after the small group left because it met in their home. So this whole household of Priscilla and Aquila and Aquila Priscilla, their whole household cared for the needs. And then he says, all the brethren greet you. And then he says this really, really gnarly thing, greet one another with a holy kiss. And of course, this is a church that tries to do that. And you wonder why. It just seems weird. Well, it's because the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay? Can we please just be obedient to Scripture? The Bible says holy men prayed with hands lifted, so we lift our hands. The Bible talks all through about the attitude of kneeling as a posture of reverence, and the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. It says it in Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And then in 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. So the apostle Peter had the same command. And so... Um, We should just obey it. Honestly. It's not that difficult. Here, come here. I'll show you. I know. Don't worry. We're not homosexual. Okay? Why would we not do that? Honestly. I mean, is that, like, scary to you? Come here. Okay, you ready? Yep. Mm, love you. Love you. You know, the early church always kissed each other as they came to the Lord's table. Do you know that Jesus, when he was in the home of Simon, the Pharisee, and Simon was just dissing the woman that was washing his feet with her hair and tears, Jesus rebuked him, and do you remember what he rebuked him for? He said, Simon, when I came in your house, you didn't kiss me. You know, one of the worst things about Judas' betrayal? It's that he did it with a kiss. Listen, kisses should not have to do with sex. They should have to do with love. And try it out. Honestly, try it out. We didn't used to do this, but then one night when elders and deacons were being ordained, all of a sudden, spontaneously, really, it was Sunday evening and it was out at First Church of God on the bypass where we were meeting at the time. And we had this worship service where we had new elders and deacons. And when they got done being ordained and installed, spontaneously, up in front of the congregation, they all kissed each other. On the cheek, not the lips. 
It's not that difficult. Don't worry. If you don't do it today, I'm not going to get on your case. If, as a matter of fact, if you don't do it in a year, I won't get on your case. But two years? <laughs> and some of you have been here 20. Okay. Then he says, the greeting is in my own hand. The Apostle Paul wrote through a secretary, and the secretary wrote down what he wrote, but at some point in the letter, he would say, all right, now I'm writing. He says, the greeting is in my own hand. So now he starts writing. So what he now writes is very intense. And he says, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let him be accursed. Eh, he's not an evangelical. <laughs> he's not ending on a positive note. And he's talking to the church. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to people in the church. And he says, if you don't love the Lord, damn you. Damn you if you don't love the Lord. And then he says, Maranatha. And we all think Maranatha is like, come Lord Jesus. Oh Lord Jesus, come. You know, pre-millennial, pre-trip. Come, Lord Jesus! But that's not what it means at all. Those are the words. Yeah, that, that's the meaning of the Aramaic, but, but let, me, let me give it a little different intonation. If anyone doesn't love the Lord, damn him! Come, Lord Jesus! It is, it is a malediction added to a malediction. It is not soft fuzzies when Jesus returns. That happened the first time. The first time he came as a baby in a manger. But when he returns, he returns as the judge of all the earth. And the Apostle Paul said, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, damn him. Let him be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus. Listen, this is nothing positive for those who do not love the Lord and are hypocrites in the church and come to this table and eat and drink to their own judgment. Do you understand this? Okay? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and I tell you I love the Apostle Paul. I love him because the Apostle Paul loves me. He does not flatter me. He treats me as a son, as God treated him when God struck him blind and said, don't you dare persecute me. That was the degree to which Jesus identified with his church. And he doesn't feel any conflict when he says what? He ends his letter by saying, my love be with you all. My love. And then amen? <laughs> and I say amen. Let's pray.